Welcome to Reasonable Boy 0012 Universal Basic Income. We go to Ian Blackford with his first of his two questions. Ian Blackford. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. As the COVID 19 pandemic continues, we are reminded every day of the terrible toll that it takes on our society, but also of the heroic efforts by our frontline workers, and I would like to take the opportunity to put on record our gratitude for everything that they do. Mr Speaker, it is now 34 days since the Chancellor first announced a package of economic support. At the time, heralded as a package of support for all businesses and workers during this health emergency. And yet, 34 days on, thousands of businesses and individuals have found themselves with no income, with no support, and no end in sight, and all because of arbitrary cut-off dates and bureaucratic barriers imposed by this UK government. People are being left behind. Today, the Scottish National Party is leading a cross-party call for a universal basic income to finally protect everyone. It will put cash in people's pockets, and it will help ensure a strong economic recovery and a fairer society. Can the First Secretary of State give us a straight answer today? Does he support this proposal or does he reject it? First Secretary. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Well, first of all, can I pay tribute along with uh, the Honourable Gentleman to the key workers that have served every uh, one of our four nations? Can I also say in relation to Scotland uh, that we uh, recognise the UK-wide effort to tackle coronavirus, the RAF helicopters helping Scottish patients get treatment, uh, the Regiment of Scotland setting up test centres in Glasgow, and the 11 million items of personal protective equipment that have been delivered from central UK government stocks to make sure that as one United Kingdom we defeat the coronavirus. I don't agree with his point on the universal income. The Chancellor has, I think, quite rightly uh, adopted and announced a series of measures, uh, second to none in the world, to support workers uh, through the job uh, retention scheme to make sure that for those that don't qualify, other support like an increase in universal credit um, and working tax credit uh, credits are able to, 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 to deal with the challenge. And I think we need to have a very focused approach, providing the resources that we need to those that need it most. And a universal income without uh, 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 being based on need wouldn't provide that. Ian Blackford. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Of course, the simple fact is that many people are being left behind. Many people are not getting an income just now. A universal basic income is the right economic policy at the right time. Mr Speaker, its time has come. Over 100 members of Parliament from seven political parties, parties from across the four nations and regions of the United Kingdom, have come together to support the solution. Polling shows that 84% of the public now support this. A universal basic income is a solution that will provide support for anybody, and crucially, it will leave no one behind. First Secretary of State, it's a solution that deserves more than the answer that we got just now. 
the government should think again because we shouldn't be left in the situation that either the self-employed or those that are seasonal workers and others don't get the support they deserve. Will the government think on this again and do the right thing, make sure that no one is left behind, yes or no? First Secretary. I thank the right honourable gentleman, but um, as I made clear in my earlier answer, we want to make sure we provide the support to those who need it most. A universal approach, uniform without uh, reference to need uh, or income, or the most vulnerable in our society is not the way uh, I respectfully suggest to achieve it. Our plan is one of the most extensive in the world. It makes sure that workers receive 80% of their salary, up to £2,500. We've already extended this to June. We have made other forms of support available for those that don't qualify. He's talked about the self-employed um, and uh, or others uh, who, who may not fall within the criteria of the scheme. Uh, I've made clear the uh, increases to universal credit and the working tax credit basic rate, the mortgage holidays, the energy bill deferrals. That's the way we have a focused approach that is targeting the resources at those who need them most and allows our economy as a whole to pull through this coronavirus. Welcome to Reasonable Boy 0012, Universal Basic Income. Today we're going to look at the, um, a couple of weeks ago actually now, at primary questions, the first being held uh, after social distancing was brought into the House of Parliament. And um, it was very interesting to see how Keir started off about his, his um, congratulations to the government and how well they were doing and blah, blah, blah. And, it really, and although there were some things that he covered which were important, the one thing that got me more uh, disappointed in the approach was the SNP leader, Ian Blackford. He actually asked the government a really good question. And it was about universal basic income. And throughout this crisis, we've seen people saying, well, we're going to give uh, people 80% of their wages and the the uh, organisation that they work for will top up to 20%. Fine, I've got no problem with that, you know. Um, but nothing's been done really for those, these are salaried workers. Nothing's been really done for people who are self-employed. They're actually having to go and prove their, you know, what their income is and at, at, at the same time apply for universal credit, which takes five weeks. They haven't done anything to stop this five-week period, which is absolutely abysmal of the government. They should really have done that. They should have said, that if you've got to claim universal credit, then we will pay you from week one, which is how it should be. The HMRC have got your records. They know what your income was last year. And there is that, and they do talk to one another and stuff. So I don't see no reason why they can't give you your wages, well, your wages, your benefit straight away. But more importantly, in Blackford's on about universal basic income, which I think is the future. So instead of having a pension that we have at the moment, which is ridiculously low compared to other countries in Europe, give people an amount of money they can live on, not survive on, but live on. So instead of paying somebody JSA, for instance, which is about £73 a week, which is nothing, nothing, and you get that every fortnight, 
and ESA, if you're on the support group, it's about £113 a week, which obviously is a bit is £40 more than what GSA claims get. But what you should be doing is saying to yourself, actually, we're paying them this money. They can't do much with it. They can just about survive on it. So like I was saying, GSA is about £73 a week. Uh, ESA, Employment Support Allowance, is £113 a week. Neither of those are quite uh, really help people in the sense that it's a survival um, amount of money rather than anything that helps you maintain um, even a basic lifestyle. And when I talk about lifestyle, I'm not talking about going on, a, on town every Saturday night and splashing 70, 80 quid on the night time and, you know, expensive clothes and shoes and stuff and what have you and holidays and so on and so forth. It's not like that. And I think a universal basic income would be sensible in that you could say, well, we will give you X amount of money. We, if you rent a home, then we will pay the full rent. And if you have additional disabilities, we'll pay a certain amount over the top of that. So people with disabilities always also get personal independent payments and they're assessed on, on their need. But this should all be taken into account. So if, for instance, you could give somebody 1500 pounds a month. Now people be up in arms and saying, why should we give these people this money? And uh, they're not working. They say, well, look at it in another way. People have to eat. They have to pay electric. They have to pay gas. They have to pay community charge. They have to pay the rent or the mortgage or whatever. If you've got children, there's that element to it as well. Feed and clothe those children. Children have got to be educated. So you've got to be able to take your children out to events and stuff and if you really want your children to do well, then you take them out and, you know, you go and... If you're doing history, you take them somewhere to historical and, you know, get them interested in the stuff. And kids need also need to be able to have other interests outside of school. So there's that factor. If you live on your own, you still have those needs. You still need to be out and about and do things. You still need to have pay for your bills, you still need to have food on the table, you still need to be able to do something with your life. Now, I don't say you shouldn't do, certainly backside and do nothing. I myself volunteer for a local blind charity, so you know, I keep myself busy. But, you know, the thing about this is that the universal basic income, if you want to go out and you want to go somewhere, you can do that. If you want to go out and have a coffee and sit down and read a paper, that's fine. That's something you can do. You shouldn't be existing, basically. You should be having a fulfilled life. And the way things are at the moment, I think people are just realising the fact that they're working god-awful hours. They're working zero-hour contracts. They're doing 70, 80-hour weeks to build, just to bring a script together, a decent income. When in reality, if people on a stable income then the mental health improves, which means you won't use the NHS so much, which means you won't need to go to the doctor so much. It's a win-win situation. The money you pay is offset by things you don't may, might need to use. Now, it doesn't mean to say that you, we shouldn't pay for those things, because of course we should, but it does mean that people generally look at benefits and things that are very sort of very, how can I put this, uh, in, in a way which they think is degrading. 
we shouldn't people shouldn't have it shouldn't be on benefits you should work and work and work until you until you um, drop dead and these people um, uh, these people say this oh, they, they're good wages and they just think oh well i'm i'm most people on benefits are you know lazy sods which they're not the book aren't and it's not until these people are actually get, get brought home to them i mean you've only got to look at um Alison pearson telegraph um columnist I think it was her son or a member of family anyway, which suddenly um, had to go on sickness benefit. And all of a sudden it came out and said, this is atrocious, this is disgraceful. How, how can people survive? Well, you're the person in your party, you voted Conservative, you voted for these policies. And now they're coming back to bite you, which is reasoning why the universal basic income should be set at a level where people can actually go out and do things. Because it helps the economy. But some of these people are so boneheaded, so thick-schooled about their ideology that they can't bring themselves to think about things like that. A universal basic income gives any, everybody some dignity. Now, whether you're young or you're old, whether you're retired or you're, or you're working, a UBI, a UBI would give that person a level which they cannot drop down under. And it's got to be set at a level which means the person can pay all the bills. And I think, personally myself, if you aren't any benefits, you shouldn't have to pay for your rent at all maybe you could pay your community charge bill but your rent should be guaranteed that you don't pay for your rent it's that's taken care of because that's a big amount of money and then you give a, a certain amount of money to the person you could give them a thousand pounds you could pay the rent and say right we're going to give you a thousand pounds a month and after that you pay electric your gas your community charge and then everything else that's one way of doing it but it's, it's got to be the level which is which people can, can actually do something with and it's no point saying i mean then you'll be like 500 quid a month i mean out of that you, you've got to pay a portion of your rent and stuff like that that's, that's not going to hack it so that's so i think ian blackford's approach to this is exactly the approach that keir starmer should have made because under this crisis we're finding just we're finding out how many people are slipping through the cracks and not being able to afford rent rates gas, electric, whatever, you're only a couple of months away from destitution at the moment with a lot of, because people are, can't save any money because they're paying it on high rental costs and things like that. And I think it's just now hitting home to a lot of these people who would normally say, oh, I don't do, I don't agree with people on benefits and this, that, other. When they actually need them themselves, they're suddenly finding out that it's nowhere near enough to live on. So maybe, just maybe, when this is all over, we'll have a different attitude to those people on benefits because there's been two million applications for universal credit since this crisis started, and that's two million voters. So the way you treat those people may impact on, on how, the government, how the government is perceived in the future. And so this should be a good opportunity for the new Labour leader to go in hard on this and talk about universal basic income and how people on benefits are treated. All he seems to be worried about at the moment is the exit strategy. Well, you can do that in the background. You can get some people and say, you work on that, I'm the leader of the party. I'm going to concentrate on this. This is the immediate thing that we've got to get sorted out at the moment. The exit strategy will be the exit strategy. And we're nowhere near the end of lockdown. Although people are saying now that maybe we're going to relax things a little bit. Well, we, we can't. We can't relax things at the moment, certainly not until maybe June.
And that's, I think, is when things will start to relax a little bit more. But even then, it won't be as it was before. It might be the end of the year by the time we get back to some sort of normality. But well done to Ian Blackford. He posed a great question, which deserved a great answer, which of course he didn't get. But uh, well done. We're now going over to Peter Bohm. Mr. Speaker, at this time of national emergency, many people are, are being forced to use their bank overdrafts. Yet the banks are charging 20% interest per year, which they're going to increase to 40% in July. At the same time, they're offering savers a pathetic interest rate of 0.1%. Yet these are the same banks that were saved by billions and billions of pounds of taxpayers' money. What on earth is going on? When are the banks going to act in the national interest? Acting President. Up in his prime, I think the First Secretary, if you can get the best out of that, we'll all benefit. First Secretary. I thank my honourable friend. I'm pretty sure I got the gist, and, and he's right to refer to the support banks need to be providing to customers. And thanks to the work of the Chancellor, the major banks and building societies have provided relief to those impacted by coronavirus, including deferring mortgage and other loan repayments, including increasing overdraft limits, including increasing credit card limits. Uh, by April, uh, by the first week of April, 1.2 million mortgage payment holidays had been granted. And in this national effort, as we pay tribute to those across the country stepping up to the plate, we certainly uh, expect the banks to do their bit. So the pennies finally dropped for Peter Bone about the banks and how they're treating people at the moment, and the fact that we bailed them out in 2008. The fact that the Conservative government have consistently tried to sell off the banks at a lower rate than what they're worth, so that they can get them back into the uh, on the stock exchange, and for their friends to make money. Whereas the banks owe us billions of pounds. And it is that that the government should be doing to get back. We as a country bailed them out. Of course, that means that we all benefit from the fact that they got, they didn't go under. Except for Northern Rock. And um, it should be the case that they should work for the betterment of society. Now, I'm not saying they shouldn't make profits because that's the nature of their business. But when you lend somebody some money, they should pay it back. And there's a couple of ways you can actually get them to do that. You could get them to say, right, okay, we lent Bank A, say for instance, say we lent them £25 billion. You can either pay us that back over the period of years, so say five years at £5 billion a year, or what you can do instead is we have, say for instance, all these potholes in the road, you can pay for that. Now those potholes may cost us £7 billion. You repair the roads, and if it costs you eight billion, eight billion, it costs you eight billion. If it costs you ten billion, it costs you ten billion. But you still, then you've still got like fifteen billion pounds to pay. So right, okay, you've done the roads. Okay, we've got, um, you know, we've got a problem with housing. So why not say to them, right, fifteen billion pounds of your money will go into making new council houses for people with low rents, and we mean normal social rents, not not this farce that they keep coming out with is affordable rents. Well, proper social rents where people can have a house and pay the rent, which is 
couple of hundred pounds a, a month, you know. Nothing, you know, it shouldn't be, it shouldn't be 1,500, 2,000 pounds a month, like in the private sector. And that's the way you could get the money back. Meanwhile, the government can do the bigger projects and, you know, once that debt is being repaid by the banks, that's it. They can carry on and do what they normally do. But while they owe us the money, they have a social responsibility to pay that money back. And we shouldn't allow them to get away with it. Because after all, if you owe the Department of Work and Pensions money because you've overclaimed on something, even if it's a few hundred pounds, they want that money back. If the HMRC feel that you they've given you too much money, they'll claw that back. So it's the same. Th- it should be the same thing for the banks. We gave you billions of pounds to ensure that you didn't collapse. We want that money back. It's a, a crying shame that Peter Bone. So I didn't just come to this con- conclusion after all these years. And it's about time that we as a country looked at the way in which we dealt with this. Because this will be with us for a long time. It's been with us since 2008, so for 12 years. In that 12 years, if we'd have insisted on the banks paying that money back in a way that's socially responsible, we would have a much better society now than what we do have. And the Conservatives always say they're great with money. Well, it's proven the fact that they're not. They're not really bothered about us ordinary people. All they care about is big business, especially big businesses that don't pay their taxes as well. So let's put some pressure on them now to get them, or to get Parliament, to make sure that the, we get a, a law put in place that all these banks we let money to, to bail them out, pay it back. So that's it for now. See you later. Reasonable boy, out. Thank you.